mentioned this as we get started today that um, we've got more of these uh, talking over sheets at the back. Somebody will be back there passing them out and some questions that you uh, can discuss with your friends, family about the message, but it also has a daily Bible readings. And uh, uh, so I hope you'll take those and, and you'll participate in what God is trying to teach you, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. Now we're in the second week of our series looking at the Old Testament prophet named Elisha. Last week, we talked about killing cows and burning plows. We talked about leaving stuff behind that holds us back from being where God wants us to be. And today, we're going to talk about digging ditches. Uh, Nobody's ever done that, right? Anybody ever dug ditches? I've dug ditches. It's no fun. But that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, how many of you have ever played the game If Only? So like, if only I had blank, my life would be better. Anybody played that game? If only I had this. Three people. All right, I'm going to talk to them today. Uh, If only I had more money, life would be better. If only I had more hair, or at least hair in the right places, because some of us have hair and never mind, Um, ears, noses, stuff like that. Some ladies might say, if only I had a husband. A married lady might say, if only I had a husband who had a job. Or another married lady might say, if only I had a husband who had a job and looked like Brad Pitt. I don't know what your if only is, but we've all played it right now. Now, how many have played that game, right? Let me see your hands. Okay, 10, we're getting there. I'll keep asking. You can't leave until everybody plays the game. So today I want to kind of change that because we've played the if only, if only my kids did this, if only this, if only my boss, if only my spouse, if only, we've all played that. Today I want to change the game and I want to say to you, I want you to think of your greatest need and how your life could be different if only you trusted God in the area of your greatest need. You tracking with me? So instead of if only I had this, 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 what if... The God of the universe invaded your greatest need. Would that make any difference? Sure it would. And I'm going to talk to you about how to do that. Now, in our verses today, we're going to see a scene where three kings go to war against one king. And three against one, you're going to think that's good. Now, if you have, if you have a smartphone and you have version that app, you can go to uh, version. you can click on live events, and you can follow along on there. You can follow along your listening guide, or we put it up here on the screen. But I've got to tell you a little bit about the background. Now, remember that, that Israel has been split in two. They've been very disobedient to God. And so there's a northern kingdom that's called Israel. There's a southern kingdom that's called Judah. So there's 12 tribes together, but there's 10 tribes to the north. There's two tribes to the south, Israel and Judah. Now, <laughs> the Moabites are a group that's, that's, that's another country that has been taken over by the Israelites by the northern kingdom. King Ahab was a very, very wicked king. You're going to hear more about him in just a second. And he had forced the Moabites to pay tribute to him every year. They paid 100,000 lambs and the, the, the wool of 100,000 rams every year to Israel because Israel was bigger and better than them. And so when King Ahab, this wicked king, dies, Moab said, we ain't paying it anymore. And King Ahab's son, Joram, says, oh, yes, you are. And so he goes and he asks the king of uh, Judah, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat. My dad used to say, jumping Jehoshaphat. Y'all ever heard of that? I don't know what it means, but my dad said it all the time, jumping Jehoshaphat. But that, that's the king of, the, of Judah, of the southern part of Israel. So you got the King Joram of Israel, you've got Judah, King Jehoshaphat, and we don't even know who the King of Edom is, but they all go together and they're going to fight against the Moabites. Now, they think it's going to be easy. If it were easy, 
do you think it would be the topic of my sermon today? Okay, thank you. Right, you've been here a while, you know how these things go. They had a plan, but it wasn't a very good plan, so things didn't turn out the way they hoped. Part of the plan was to march through the desert for seven days because they were going to do this sneak attack on the Moabites. So going through the desert, what do you think the number one problem would be in the desert? No water. Oh, dear Jesus. No water. Seven days, no water. They are literally about to die of thirst when they first consult the Lord. Their brilliant plan has everybody thirsty. So here's what the first principle that that this story is going to teach us today. And here it is. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Your greatest need, what I just talked to you about, if only God were to invade your greatest need, how would your life be different? It would be radically different if you allow God to come in. It can be a great blessing if you learn how to depend on God. Somebody here needs to hear this message today. All right, let's pick up the verses. This is in 2 Kings chapter 3. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. The wilderness is actually desert. But there was no water for the men or their animals. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. It was his plan, by the way, idiot. The Lord has, had brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. So his, his deal was, there's no water. This is God's fault. But King Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat of Judah, asked, is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. This is actually pretty smart. These people aren't following God, but Jehoshaphat at one time had followed God, and and it's pretty smart. Let's ask God. Now, the smarter thing would have been to talk to God before you walk seven days through the wilderness with no water, but I, I digress. All right. One of King Joram's officers replied, well, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. In another translation, it says he used to wash the hands of Elijah, and that meant a mentor. Okay, so I mentioned Elijah last week, and and their lives are intertwined, and I'm going to keep coming back to this Elijah story. Now, everybody in Israel knew that Elijah had this kind of war with Ahab. Ahab was wicked. God kept sending Elijah to him. Ahab hated Elijah, and so at one point, God tells Elijah to pray that there won't be rain. So Elijah prays, and there's not rain in the land for three and a half years. Now, we thought it was bad when we went 36 days with no rain. Three and a half years with no rain. And then, after this big prophets of, of Baal and Asherah, and, you know, I'll talk more about this in a minute, but Elijah, God uses Elijah to defeat them. Then God says, pray for rain. So Elijah prays for rain, and it says that, that a, a thundercloud about the size of a man's hand arises over the sea, and, and his servant says, oh, well, there's a thundercloud, but it's very small, and he says, keep going back. And then all of a sudden, God sends this storm, this massive storm that waters the entire land. Every, all three of these kings knew this story. And they're thinking, if Elijah did that, maybe God will provide water for us, rain for us, something through Elisha. Verse, uh, this is verse 12. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom went to consult with Elisha. Now, they're not serving God. All of a sudden, they're in trouble, and they ask for God. Oh, no, God, we're in trouble. Kind of sounds like a lot of us, right? Can you help us, God? I didn't consult you before. Can you help us? And so they start asking each other, is there anybody that's like really spiritual? Is there anybody that's in good with God that could maybe do a rain dance or, you know, they're in good with God. Maybe God will do something for them. And then somebody says, oh yeah, Elisha the prophet, maybe he can help us out. Now, these guys had heard about the rookie year of Elisha as prophet. 
He'd done some crazy uh, miracles. God had allowed him to do that. The first miracle that Elisha did was the same last miracle that Elijah did. Just before Elijah is taken up, Elijah never dies. It says a chariot of fire came and it picked him up and took him to heaven and they couldn't find him anymore. Right before that, he's walking along with Elisha and he says, Elisha, stay here on this side of the Jordan River. I'm going to go over there. And Elisha says, I will not leave you. So Elijah takes off his, his prophet's cloak. <clears throat> He strikes the Jordan River. The Jordan River parts, and he and Elisha walk across on on dry ground. It comes back together. So after Elijah is taken up to heaven, his cloak falls. Elisha picks up the cloak. He walks back, and he says, he's standing on the Jordan River on the opposite side, and he says, where is the God of Elijah? And he takes the cloak. He smacks the river. It parts into all of the prophets, the school of prophets. They're on the other side. He walks through on dry ground. Everybody sees he did the same thing that Elijah did. Pretty, Pretty impressive. Another time some folks came to him because their water was bad. It's in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2. And they said to him, our city is awesome. We're in a great place, but the water's terrible. There's death in the water. The land is unproductive because of the water. And so Elisha says, bring me a new bowl with some salt in it. And and he prays and he throws it in the spring that feeds the, the city's water supply. And he says, here's what God says. This water will not cause harm to anyone anymore. This water's clean. Now, I don't know about you, but wouldn't you want to send that off to somebody to have it tested? And he says, it, it will no, there will no longer be death in the water. And, all, and, and the scripture says that to this day, that spring has been purified at the word of God. Pretty impressive. Now, right after that, Elisha's walking along and he's going to Bethel. And the Bible tells us this really odd story. This is in 2 Kings 2.23. And it says some young dudes come out and they start making fun of him. And they say, go up, you old bald head. Go up, you old bald. They kept saying, go up, you old bald head. Now, this is not, first time I read this, it freaked me out. Because I thought it was little kids. Didn't freak me out because I'm bald. But it freaked me out because the first time I read this, I had lots of hair. Um, But I remember being in Sunday school and hearing this story and it kind of freaked me out. Well, I've done some studying on it. This was not young boys. This was, this was a, you'll see in a second, 42 of them come out. This is a demonstration. And, and people said maybe it was prophets of, of the false prophets of Baal. Uh, maybe it's people as jealous of, of Elisha. What they're saying is you claimed, you're the only one that saw this. You claimed that Elijah went up. Well, you old bald head, you go up just like Elijah did if you're such a prophet of God. So they were coming out and they were, they were challenging his prophetic office. But even more than that, they were challenging the God that he served. So Elisha calls out a curse to heaven. He didn't curse them. He says he calls this curse upon them. And it says that two bears come out of the woods and they maul 42 young guys. These guys were, this was the Baal prophets matter movement. And Elisha says, oh God, you know, and, and bears. So there's, there's a very important principle here. One is you should read your Bibles because I'm not making this stuff up. It's in your Bibles. There's some good stuff in your Bibles. Two is never make fun of a guy with a bald head because you don't know how much faith he has or how near the bears are. Now, they knew all these stories, so they asked Elisha to help them. And they're like, Elisha, can you help us out? Now, this is awesome. I love the prophets. Elisha cops a little attitude here and he goes, oh, I see you want to ignore God, but when you're in trouble, you want some God action. Now, where did this come from? Where did he learn to be such a smart aleck? From Elijah, his mentor. 
Okay, back to the story where he's confronting the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Elijah says to them, he gathers everybody together. So there's 450 prophets of Baal, there's 400 prophets of Asherah, there's one prophet of God, and it's Elijah. And Elijah says, okay, guys, we're going to have a contest. We're going to see whose God is the biggest and the baddest. We're going to take two oxen. You kill an ox, I'll kill an ox. You build an altar, I'll build an altar. But we're not going to light fire under it. We're going to call on the God of heaven. If your God lights the, the sacrifice with fire, then by all means, we'll worship him. But if my God lights the the altar by fire from heaven, then we're going to worship him. And everybody thought it was a great idea. And he says, you go first. And, and, you know, in my mind, I just hear the, let's get ready to rumble. (laughs) Because here's what happens. Sometime in the morning, Elijah is, is sitting there watching and the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they do all of their stuff. And it says they go until noon. So hours they're calling on their God and they say, Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. And they're calling out and they're calling out and calling out. Look what Elijah does in first Kings chapter 18, verse 27. <clears throat> About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. I can't even make this stuff up. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a God. And it's a lowercase g, all right? Lower, not, not an uppercase g. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is daydreaming. This is in the scripture. Or he is relieving himself. <laughs> Maybe the little sign is occupied. And he's busy. He's reading the Guns and Ammo magazine. He's occupied. Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and he needs to be wakened. Ah, oh, the prophets are, they're some of my favorites. They're just smart alecks. For God. Sometimes I'm just a smart aleck and not for God. Nobody else is like that. Are they Mark Cargill? <clears throat> Did I say that out loud? I was thinking it. Now, Elisha, all he does is he did what his mentor did. Look what he says. Why are you coming to me? Elisha asked the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. See, Elisha knows that they really don't care about God. They just want to be saved from trouble. They're not following God. They just want to be saved from trouble. So he he busts out one of the very first recorded mama jokes. Your mama's a prophet, right? Because you you gotta understand, he says, go to them. See, because Ahab is dead. His daddy is dead. That's how he became king. But his mom was Jezebel. If you've ever heard about Jezebel, one of the most wicked women in the history of the world. And she caused the people of God to go over to these other prophets. And so she's wicked. And Elijah, actually at the end of his life, Elijah says, you will not bury Jezebel. Her bones will be eaten by dogs. And that was like the worst curse you could have because everybody said, oh man, you know, if she died, she's a king's daughter. She was married to a king. She should be buried with the kings. Well, when she dies, this is a great story. You need to read just a few more chapters. When she dies, somebody pushes her out the window because she was messed up. She hits the ground. It says blood spatters on the wall. Um, Jehu, he becomes king later. Jehu goes in and eats. And then while he's sitting there eating, he goes, oh, uh, maybe she was a daughter of a king. Maybe we should go and bury her. It says when you came out, all they could find was her skull, the palms of her hand, and a few bones of her feet. You couldn't find her because the wild dogs had come and ripped her apart, just as Elijah had said. Your mama's a prophet. (laughs) So this is what, this is what Elisha is saying. Why are you coming to me? Your mama's a prophet. Go to her. She's still alive. Ask her. Awesome. Look what Joram says. He's like, don't you talk about my mom. Here's what he says. King Joram of Israel said, no, talk about my mom for it was the lord who was called us three kings here only to be defeated by the king of moab it's not my mama's fault it's your god's fault 
And see, this, this is why I'm not a prophet. I'm a preacher, and, and, but I'm not a prophet because I'd be saying, don't you bring the big G into this. And I'd say, don't you be making fun of bald people. I'd be looking for bears to come out and get this king. God won't let me do that. Elisha, though, he still has attitude. Here's what he says in, in verse 14. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, here's the thing. He's saying, I serve the real God, the uppercase, the capital G. As surely as the Lord God that I serve, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. This is not how you usually talk to kings, because what could kings do? Kill him. Kill him. (laughs) If you saw the first uh, Zorro. Kill him. But, But if you know the king of kings and you are called by the king of kings, and you're intimately acquainted with the king of kings, you don't fear what man can do to you. He says, boys, you don't serve the real God, but I do. And Jehoshaphat at one time had respected God. And so Elisha says, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't even give you the time of day. But because Jehoshaphat is here, I'll be your prophet. Now, at this point, you would expect him to have a word of the Lord, right? I mean, that's what happens in scripture. You go to the prophet of God. You say, what does God want us to do? Look what Elisha says. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. Bring me some hill song. Maybe Bethel. Maybe the Passion Worship Band. Shoot, give me the New Life Community Church Band because I need to hear some worship music. And, and we kind of think that's weird, but actually it wasn't such a strange request at that time. It, it wasn't out of the ordinary for someone to want some music, some background music. And, and when Elisha hears it, look what happens in verse 15. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. And if you're a follower of Christ, you totally get this. Because when you worship God, it does something to your spirit. I was telling the band one time that um, when, when I graduated from Baylor, my, my parents let me go on a trip to England with a choir and we traveled around. We sang in, in castles. It's one of the coolest things we've ever done. We sang worship music because I went to Baylor and it's at least marginally Christian. Um, but um, <laughs> we sang a bunch of Christian music and we had church services and there was a, there was a young lady, 18-year-old um, girl from England and we sang this song about the power of God. And I'm telling you, the spirit was thick in the room. And afterwards, she was crying, and, and one of our sponsors, I was, I was a youth minister back at that time, and one of our sponsors said, hey, dude, you need to ask her. So I went and talked to her, still tears coming down her eyes. I said, hey, are you okay? And she goes, what was that? And I said, what? And she said, when you sang that song, it moved my heart and my soul. And I said, you don't know Jesus, do you? No. Anyway, I got to tell her about Jesus. So what happened was the Holy Spirit ministered to you. And if you're a Christ follower, you get that. When I'm sad, I play worship music. When I'm happy, I play worship music. When I need to make a decision and I'm praying, I play worship music. If you go by, I'm serious, if you go by here sometimes and the walls are doing this, it's because the worship music is just blaring in here. And, and y'all can't see me, but I'm in here. Sometimes I'm playing the guitar. Sometimes I'm just walking around. I'll be singing. Tammy said she sang out there. I'll be singing at the top and I'll just stop and I'll just worship God and I'll say, thank you. Thank you, God that you still invade the lives of people who worship you. That's what, that's what Elisha was doing. I need a little bit of worship music to get me in, in the right spirit so that I can hear from God. It says that the word of the Lord came to Elisha and, and the kings are going, surely now he's going to encourage us. Not so much. If you're a king needing water, what Elisha 
God says to them that God said can sound absurd. Here it is. Verse 16. He said, Elisha said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of what? Excuse me? You're a king. You're in your little chariot with your royal robes. Make this valley full of what? Ditches. I thought we were asking God to make it rain. My guys are almost dead. You want them to do manual labor in the hot sun, digging ditches when there's not a cloud in the sky. And and Elijah's like, yeah, you heard me. I didn't stutter. Dig some ditches. And what they're going to learn is that your, your greatest need can become your greatest blessing if you learn to depend on God, if it drives you to go to God. And, and I should have put this on your listening guide. I didn't. I say this all the time, but it's true. Blessing always comes after obedience. And you're going to, I'll tell you why in just a second, but look what happens in, in verse 17. You will neither, you will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and other animals, but this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. Elisha has, is saying, you have no idea how big and powerful our God is. And I'm sorry, this is just the way my mind works. So the other day I'm studying and Rachel comes through and, and I'm actually doing some stuff. And so when I read this and I was talking, I was thinking about how big and powerful, we used to do this song for Backyard Bible Club. And it went like this. Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. Rachel came in as I did that. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm preparing a sermon. All right, so here it is. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. You repeat that, and it says, the mountains are his, the valleys are his, the stars are his handiwork too. Ready? Sing it with me. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. Y'all are so good. That's all you're going to remember my sermon today. And I'm actually okay with that. I'm okay with that. You take that because sometimes you need to be reminded. Elisha is saying, dudes, for God to make rain or for God to give water, because he's, he's going to bring it without even rain. You're not even going to see rain. And God's going to bring, this valley's going to be filled with water. And oh, by the way, that other thing you want, you want, the, you want to destroy the king of Moab? Well, God's going to give him into your hand too because our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. Thank you. <laughs> so what does this mean for us today? Because we've always got to get to the point, so what? Yes, God was big and mighty and strong and there's there's all kinds of stuff he's done in the past, but what does that mean for today? I want you to say faith that works. Everybody say that, faith that works. Say it again, faith that works. All right, we're gonna talk about what that means. I want you to have a faith that moves the heart of God, but you gotta understand what that is. Janie and I were talking this week and, and she was reading her scripture and it's one of the coolest things in the world is when she's sitting in her chair and I'm sitting in my chair, we're reading and she'll say, hey, what about this? So she said, she goes, you said something in your sermon last week. What, what about this? She said, what does it mean to wait on God in faith? 
She said, I just want to make sure I'm clear. What does it mean to wait in faith? Because waiting on God is never inactive. This is a misconception that we have. When you wait on God, I said, I said, I get this from experiencing God. This study we've done several times, uh, done it here in our church. I've done it eight times. Janie's done it eight times or so. And in experiencing God, it says, when you're confused about what God wants you to do next, always go back to what the last thing that God clearly told you to do. You keep doing that until God tells you to do something different. I said, faith is when you trust God and you say, God, there's confusion. And the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. So if you're confused, don't move forward. You move back to the last thing you know God told you to do. You keep doing that. The reason churches are failing and and closing their doors is because people forgot what the last thing God told them to do was. You keep doing in your marriage, you keep doing the last thing God told you to do. In your church, with your children, in your job, you keep doing the last thing. You don't run ahead of God. You say, God, until you clearly show me what you want me to do, I'm going to keep doing this last thing that you've told me to do. And see, the Christian life is all about serving. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. To be like Christ means I give my life for the benefit of others. When he died on the cross, he poured out, literally poured out his life for you and for me. And we're supposed to be like him. So if you're not serving, you can't possibly be like the one that you say you follow. Follow the leader. So a faith that works is a faith that does something. So here we go, a couple of things. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. See, I don't know where this whole uh, meditation, I understand meditate. Really what meditating is, is to chew on something. It's like when a cow chews its cud, you know, they have those little whatever extra stomachs or whatever, and they can just kind of vomit it back up and chew it again. That sounds gross. But meditation means you roll over and over on this, like a rotisserie grill in your mind. You roll over and over the things of God. You're meditating on the things of God. And, and you let that marinate and you meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to worship. Because when you're worrying, you're putting all the what ifs. If only, if only, if only. Replace that with God and you begin to worship and you're going to hear from God more than if you just worry. Now, look what, what James, half-brother Jesus said in, in James 2.26. He said, just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is dead without good works. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ who sits on your butt all of the time and is served. That's a child. Mature followers of Christ feed every week. My job is to lead and to feed you. I'm supposed to give you the best food I can every week. You're supposed to feed on that. Then you're supposed to push away from the table and serve. You will never become the the follower that God wants you to be until you push away from the table and serve. People all the time say, well, there's a marriage series going on. I don't want to miss the marriage series. We got it on CD. We'll have a marriage class just for you. Go serve. You'll learn 10 times as much back, 100 times as much serving children back there as you will in here. It's just the way God created things. When you start to exercise your spiritual muscles, that's when you begin to grow and that's when God begins to use you. Now, do you think the God of the universe needed these guys out there to dig ditches? You think God needed that? Because God could have just said ditches. I mean, that's what he did when, when he created the world. Let there be light, and there was light, and let there be planets, and there were planets. And he said, let the land be separated from the water. He speaks. So he could have said ditches, and there'd be ditches everywhere. 
You see, it's almost like God was saying, show me your faith and then I'll show you my faithfulness. God loves to see our faith. And, and in the New Testament, as you're reading, you'll, you'll see these, this phrase. When Jesus saw their faith, he did such and such. When Jesus saw their faith, he did such and such. And, and if you think about it, how do you see faith? Like if I'm praying, you go, ooh, look at the faith smoke coming off Doug's head, right? Those of you hair, you, can't, you don't have faith smoke. I'm sorry. It's one of the benefits. No, not really. When, when Jesus was walking on water and, and Peter said, if that's you, Lord, say come. And he, he says, come. How did you see Peter's faith? He got out of the boat. It's real easy to see the dude who gets out of the boat. The other 11 boys, not so much. Did you see their faith? They were sitting in the boat. How much faith does it take to stay in the boat? I ain't getting out there. Look at those waves. Get me to shore. You know, that type of thing. You saw the faith of the one who got up and walked towards Jesus. Some, God's the only miracle worker, but he wants you to participate in the process. Jesus encountered a guy with a withered hand in, in Luke chapter six. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, stretch out your hand. Well, that's an absurd thing to say to a man who has a withered hand. Jesus wanted to see his faith. He's like, you do your part. I'll do my part. Jesus met another guy who, uh, he said, get, he said, pick up your mat and walk. This was a guy who'd been born lame. So his, his muscles had never held his body. And Jesus said, I want you to pick up your mat and walk. It was like Jesus was saying, you do your part, I'll do my part. I'm going to heal you, but I'm not going to pick you up. You've got to get up and do something. A man was born blind. Jesus goes up to him, and, and this one, I, I don't even understand. He spits in the dirt, takes the mud, puts it on his eyes. Ooh. And then he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll be healed. Why did he do it that way? I think he wanted to see if the man would believe and obey. Blessing always comes after obedience. Healing comes after obedience. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God's saying, you show me my, your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. Too many people are waiting for God to show them faithfulness and they're not showing any faith. Take a step of action. You want to quit smoking? Maybe you walk out today and you throw the cigarettes in the trash and you say, there's a step of faith, God. You want to heal a relationship that's bad? Maybe you forgive somebody before they ever ask for forgiveness. Maybe you start treating somebody nicely who only treats you bad. What are you doing when you do that? You're digging a ditch. Lots of parents want their kids to love Jesus and love the church, but the church is not a priority for them. They, they don't make church a priority on a Sunday morning. They don't ever open their Bibles. They don't ever listen to Christian music. They don't ever pray with their, their children. And yet they want their children to be giants for Jesus. And God says, why don't you dig a ditch? Why don't you begin living the life in front of them that you want them to live? People say, I trust God, just not with money. How can your kids see you trust God with money? I still remember in my mind, I see my dad at our kitchen table every week before we went to church. He would sit down, pull out his checkbook. He would write a check to the church. We'd get in the car and drive to church. I saw my dad's faith when it came to money. And, and this is a strange thing to the human mind. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus ideas about money are ridiculous because he says, give me the first part and I'll bless the 90%. Give me 10% and I'll make the 90% go farther than anybody else can with their 100%. And if you're a tither, you know, that's true. There are people in this church who've done it over and over and God has been faithful and God has blessed them. And, and what, some people say, well, when I get a lot, I'll give God some. No, you won't. Because Jesus said, if you're faithful with little, you can be trusted with much. If you're not faithful with little, you're not going to be trusted with much. 
You're going to do the exact same thing. Why do you think, did you know the majority of people who win the lottery in Texas, not just in Texas, all of those lotteries, within five years they're broke again? It's because they don't know how to deal with little. So why would they be able to deal with much? There are some single guys. I want a wife. God, send me a wife. You're sitting on your butt at home waiting for some smoking hot babe to knock on your door, carrying a Bible going, take me to church or lose me forever. And God's going, brush your teeth. (laughs) Wear something different. Iron a shirt, sell your Xbox, move out of your parents' basement, get a full-time job. Ask somebody out, buy some flowers, get involved in your church. Only God can send the babes, but you got to brush your own teeth. Come on. All right? That's a faith that works. Second thing of a faith that works, real faith believes big but is willing to start small. Too many people who call themselves Christian aren't thinking big enough. We serve a God that can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now, if you're in the ninth century and you need to dig some ditches because some crazy man of God said to dig ditches, how do you start? Shovel and one load of dirt at a time. All right? You start small. And I love this verse, and, and this is actually on your, your uh, if you get a reading plan today, this verse is on there for one of your days. They're rebuilding the temple. Zechariah is part of that. And, and look what Zechariah says in, in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, do not despise these small beginnings. And I love this phrase. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. God wants to do some God-sized stuff in your life. And Satan is telling you, don't do it. Satan's telling you, don't start it. Don't start. Don't, don't get in a small group. Don't begin giving your money. Don't, don't read your Bible. Don't pray. Satan's a liar and he's trying to keep you from it. And, and the Bible says that God loves to see small beginnings. He loves to see the work begin. Oh, I can't wait for next week. I, I, I'm already thinking about next week's sermon. And, and, and next week is, is taking what you have. You already have all you need to accomplish what God wants you to do right now. It's just you're not offering it. Look what, it, look what happens in 2 Kings 3.20. The next day at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom and soon there was water, what? Everywhere. No rain. The water just began to flow. Can you imagine the kings and their, their warriors? I'm going to bed at night, you know. Yeah, right. We dug ditches. Uh-huh. going to be water. Yeah, right. No rain. Mm-hmm. You wake up and you go, there is a God. And you need to read. I, I don't even have time to read the rest of the story. God supernaturally delivers the Moabites into their hands. They come to the edge of the valley. And because there's water, God had this plan. Because there's water everywhere, we, we don't even know why this has, is. But it says the Moabite kings looked down and the valley was filled what, with what looked like blood. And the king says to all his subjects, they have turned on one another. Let's go plunder them. So they go hauling buns down there without their weapons pulled. They're going to plunder. They get there and the Israelites slaughter them because they were unprepared to fight. Not only did God provide the water, but he also did this easy thing for God. He delivered the Moabites into their hands. Remember what Elisha said? This is easy, because my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The rhythm of this church sucks. 
So I'm not even going to make you all do it before we leave because we'd be here for a week. Now, some of you, some of you have been saying, if only God would do this. If only God would answer that prayer. Here's what I want you to remember from the sermon. Your biggest need can become your biggest blessing if it will drive you to your knees before God. And God wants you to start small. Take a step. He wants to see your faith. Do something that shows your spouse that you want to please God and and you love them. Do something that shows your children that they can see your faith. And watch what God will do through you. Sitting in the movie yesterday and just... I couldn't quit crying. Because it never gets old. Watching God take some man's heart and melt it. Some dude that's the baddest guy you've ever seen. That you would never cross in a back alley. Suddenly, God takes that heart and he reshapes it And he causes him to want to be like God. Never gets old. As long as he leaves me on this planet, I'm just going to keep doing the last thing God told me to do. And that's to lead and to feed New Life Community Church. Pray like crazy that God will continue to bring people here. And I just don't think we've even scratched the surface of what God wants to do in Anderson County and the surrounding areas. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I pray that God would bring a bunch of people to new life who will think small, who will think big, but they'll start small. And they'll say, I'm going to dig a ditch because I believe my God is faithful. Father, would you build the faith of this church? Would you build it individually and corporately? And God, you've already given us the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. We've been fighting battles in our power too long. It is high time we fight with weapons that are strong enough to destroy strongholds in the lives of people. People are bound by sin, God, and you've given us all we need. Bring those people across our path, burden our hearts until they come into the kingdom of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.